The following audio is from Restoration Southside Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where our mission is to restore people and places through outreach, authenticity, and sacrifice. For more information, visit restorationsouthside.org. Others at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. And they went on their way through the cities. They delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized, and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you, Steve. Well, good morning. My name is Ben, and I'm on staff here this morning. You could be anywhere on a Sunday morning, um, and you're here, and you look rested, and and, um, if you don't know what that means, don't worry about it. Uh, It takes a lot of mental math. Uh, Daylight savings does. But uh, if if you're new here, this is your first time or fifth time, we, we love to know you and because you're worth knowing. And so um, you can find myself or Mark, who was up here earlier, or Sammy, who leads worship, or people to your left and your right, uh, say hey to and get connected to. Uh, we just want to make sure that people feel uh, known, loved, and connected here. So come say hey. Uh, we are in the midst of a sermon series in the book of Acts. It's the New Testament. It's the, the historical book right after the Gospels, the life, death, resurrection of Jesus, right after that. In this book of Acts written by Luke, what happens is uh, we see what happens when uh, the Holy Spirit gets a hold of the people and they live on mission. What happens when they live on mission? And we see how people really engage the world around them, the the local level, how they engage the local level in captivating and redemptive ways. And this morning we'll look at the topic of hospitality, how uh, there's a hospitable witness we see uh, this morning. And if you think of the word hospitality, things flood in your mind, memories, uh, things that have marked your life or your story. You can think of uh, casseroles with six uh, sticks of butter and have your annual caloric intake. You can think of um, someone having a bed prepared for you. 
with a fluff pillow and a mint on top. You could think of the people who are warm and welcoming and you feel you feel safe with. Right? When you think of hospitality, it's an illustrative thought, meaning you think of something or someone. Uh, it's a very sensory thought. And so while those things are hospitality, those hospitality is no less than those things, meaning hospitality has a high ceiling. And, and what my goal is, and I think what, what the Lord's goal is this morning, is for us as we look at this passage is for, not through my words, but, but for the, the sea level of hospitality to rise in your heart. That you would have a, have a flood all of a sudden that you would give yourself away. That's my goal. So full disclosure, but that's my goal. And so as we, as we look at hospitality, it's important to have our arms around it, a working definition of, of sinking our teeth into it. And so maybe it's helpful to say hospitality is this. It's, it's sacrificial accommodation with others in mind. Sacrificial accommodation with others in mind. And we'll see this really at play in, in a few characters, uh, but this morning we'll see it kind of in three ways. We'll explore it. Uh, first, we'll see the heart of hospitality the heart. Second, the task of hospitality. And third, the reason of hospitality. The heart, the task, and the reason. We'll see a story where the spirit moves and people are hospitable. And so we'll let's ask that very same spirit to meet us here as we long to be more hospitable. Let's go to him in prayer. King Jesus, we come to you uh, as a people who, who are marked with story. And part of that story is ways in which we've felt the, the safety and the welcome of others and of places. Um, that we look at people who have made us, and there are people marked with hospitality in seasons of, of feeling at peace and welcomed. And maybe even people here this morning, we've, we've parts of our story are not marked by that. Uh, there's unrest, uh, there's um, scars and, and things that mark and mar us, all because we were supposed to be taken care of, and yet, Lord, we weren't. And whatever it may be this morning, whoever we are and however we are, would you meet us by the power of your Spirit, the same Spirit that is spoken of in this passage, and the same Spirit that longs to have us see Jesus high and lifted up so we could be hospitable. Would you do much with our time? Holy Spirit, may we follow the King of all things out of the grave and walk out with him. We pray in his name. Amen. So first, we'll look at the, the heart of hospitality, the heart of hospitality. Now, for context, we are in the book of Acts, right, right after the Gospels. And what has happened is Paul, about seven or eight chapters ago, uh, was this persecutor of Christianity. It says that he looked on the stoning of Stephen and he said, uh, I love this. I green light this. This is great stuff. Right after that, he has this conversion, this dramatic conversion story, and he's turned into uh, someone who is a missionary, someone who goes and tells of the, the victory of Jesus, the fact that the Lord of all things is here. This Jesus of Nazareth has come and has his kingdom. And that's kind of where we are. And this, this, this Paul, this missionary, is going north of Jerusalem, and he's traveling, and he meets up with this guy named Timothy. And Timothy then joins his posse, and they're going. And after Timothy has joined his posse, uh, he has this dream. And this dream says, hey, Paul, I know you want to go to Asia. You shouldn't go to Asia. You should go to Macedonia. 
kind of kind of westward over kind of northern Greece area. You should go there. We need you to come there, Paul. And so Paul wakes up and he goes to Macedonia. He goes down to the river to pray with George Clooney. And he goes and he meets this girl named Lydia. And Lydia, after uh, the gospel is preached and shared, this, this story of the life and death and resurrection, the person of Jesus, uh, she becomes a Christian. And that's the story. That's, that's, that's the broad 30,000 foot view. Now, as we look at that very story, how do we see a heart of hospitality? Because there's, there's two characters, there's many characters, but two main that we're looking at, Timothy and Lydia. And they are two very distinct characters. And yet we see that they share the very same heart. So how do we see the heart of hospitality in them? And it's long before any action of hospitality is done by either of them, the heart of hospitality has primed them for action. What is the heart of hospitality? It's selflessness. The heart of hospitality is selflessness. Now, how do we see this heart of selflessness in Timothy? Uh, There are things said about him, but we see the heart of selflessness in him by things that are not explicitly said. Meaning, here's what we know about Timothy. Timothy is this guy, and it says that Paul, in verse 1 and on, it says he's a, a disciple, was there, named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Now, this is the first time Timothy has come on the scene in the story of Scripture, and what do we hear about him? He's a really, really great guy. He's a great person. People hold him in high regard. Now, in the story of the, of the Bible, in the story of Scripture, when someone is really highly thought of in the, the most genuine way, are they axe murderers? No. Are they people who are just filled with deceit? No. They're saying this guy is held in high regard by everyone he's in community with. Meaning, He's a selfless, has a selfless operating system. But all of a sudden, the place he's in, at a street level, people love him and are drawn to him. He's marked by a selflessness, looking at others, not himself. And because of that, he's spoken well of. Long before Paul gets there, he has a pure, selfless heart. And the actions of hospitality will validate that. So then, uh, this Timothy, this selfless person, the heart of hospitality in Timothy, joins up with Paul, and he, he's circumcised. We'll put a pin in that. And he's circumcised, and they go and have this dream. They go to Macedonia, and they meet Lydia by the river. Now, what's important to note is that they are by this river. And they're by the river is because uh, there is no synagogue in Macedonia. And, and the, the way to start a synagogue really isn't that tall of a task. There has to be 10 Jewish men in a place to start a synagogue. And there is not a synagogue in Macedonia because there are not 10 Jewish men. What does that mean? It means that Judaism isn't even a blip on the radar in the region of Macedonia. It is a non-player. And yet, there are these group of women who are so committed to this this faith that they go way outside the city and they go down to this river and have this prayer service and this worship service and they're committing themselves to, to, to encouraging one another, all these different things. And that's where we find Lydia. 
how does a heart of selflessness, a hospitable heart in Lydia be seen in that circumstance, in that scenery? Now, she's a seller of purple, meaning Lydia sells this fine uh, linen and she makes a great deal of money. So why is she at a worship service that's not even not Roman, but not even a blip on the radar, a non-player way outside the city? Is there any social benefit to her as a very well-to-do businesswoman? No. Is there any societal gain in her going way outside the city for this prayer service by the river? No. She's a pure, selfless heart and longing to know more about the God she's encountered of the Old Testament. Timothy and Lydia, long before Paul comes on the scene, are people who are marked with deep character, deep congruency, deep conviction, deep selflessness. They have a heart that's primed for hospitality. They have a heart that's selfless, and thus it's primed to be hospitable because they're looking at other people, not themselves. Now, there is a way in which you can do the actions of hospitality and not have the heart of hospitality, selflessness. There's a way to, to do, be hospitable without even being hospitable a bit in, inside. Let me use myself as an example. So we have three children and uh, two of the three are, uh, are not potty trained. And uh, so all of a sudden we find ourselves changing a diaper every 25, 26 minutes or so. And so on this changing station in our house, which is anywhere in our house, uh, we are, have these collections, these piles building of diapers that have done the job tasked to them. And so on an everyday, normal day, there's a 50% chance if I walk by a used diaper wrapped up, I will pick it up. There's a 50% chance I will pick it up. Now, if I know that someone is on their way over to my house, there is a 110% chance if I see a diaper, I will pick it up. You're welcome. But do I do it because I'm so thoughtful of the guests they're about to enter and how I don't want to grace their nostrils with the feces of my children? No. Do I do the actions of hospitality for them no. Do I do it because deep inside of me, actually, I don't want to be known for someone who has a dirty house, let alone something that's so despicable, like used diapers as landmines everywhere. Do I do it for me? Yes. You can do the actions of hospitality all the while totally missing, totally being void of the heart of hospitality, selflessness, sacrificial accommodation with others in mind. That's what hospitality is. And all the while, there can be sacrificial accommodations with me in mind. If we don't grab a hold of the heart of hospitality, selflessness, all we'll be doing is simply playing in this social snake pit of rearranging our life. So that's the heart of hospitality we have to grab a hold of. What does it look like? What's the task, the second idea, the task of hospitality? Now, there are two people, Lydia and Timothy, described in the story, and they're very different people. They're very distinct, uh, different stories, different histories. And yet both of them give us and show us how to go about the task of hospitality well. 
because they look at this Venn diagram and see the crossover, and it's this. What do I have, and what is that need? And wherever that crossover is, they take up the task of hospitality and enter into it. What do I have? What is that need? Where's that crossover? And so for Timothy, he's this half uh, Greek and half Jewish man. His father was Greek. His mother was a Jewish believer in Christ. And he's well known, like we, like we had heard. Uh, but because of his um, kind of this mixture of, of cultures and of a, of a family, uh, he had not been circumcised yet. And so as he uh, encounters Paul and Paul says, hey, you're a really great guy. I would love for you to come on my missionary journey with me. Let's go. He says, okay, I'm in. And right after that, we see that Timothy is circumcised in Acts 16. Now, if we just take a breath, in Acts 15, what happened right before this was this thing called the Jerusalem Council. And Mark preached on it last week. And in the Jerusalem Council, what we see is that people say, hey, to be a follower of Jesus, you have to be circumcised. And then Paul stands up and absolutely um, shows how that's not even um, a real thought at all. There's no merit in it whatsoever because Paul is the biggest advocate of saying to follow Jesus, you don't have to be circumcised. You don't have to obey this law to follow the risen Jesus. And it spread throughout the land, it said, and people rejoiced with it. Paul in Acts 15 is the biggest advocate of circumcision not being required to follow Jesus. And yet Timothy is about to join that very same Paul, the very same advocate on this missionary journey. And Paul lets him be circumcised. There's, there's a bit of duplicity here. It's, there's a bit of a confusion, at least, as we look upon it with our modern eyes. And what's important to, to point out is that Timothy and Paul both know that as they begin this missionary journey together, Timothy and Paul both know the price of admission for the Jews they will encounter, the price of admission for their ears is circumcision. There is no way they will listen to someone who is not circumcised. And so John Stott eloquently puts it this way. What was unnecessary for acceptance with God was advisable for acceptance by some human beings just to get in the door. What was unnecessary for acceptance with God was unadvisable for acceptance by some human beings. That's what happens. Now, how in the world does that show us the task of hospitality? How is that relatable whatsoever? How does Timothy show us the task of hospitality? And he shows us this way, that the reception of others receiving the news of Jesus was more important than absolving himself, abdicating himself from something he didn't have to do in the first place. The others' reception of being, to the victory of Jesus was more important than excusing himself from something that wasn't even required. That's how Timothy is hospitable, or again, sacrificial accommodations with others in mind. Now, how do we see this in Lydia? How do we see this, this task of hospitality in Lydia? After hearing Paul and his posse share the gospel by the river, she becomes a Christian. It says the Holy Spirit opens her heart and she comes to faith. How the Spirit allows her to, to enter into this faith in Jesus. 
And then right after that, after this time is done together, she realizes there's no Motel 6 down the road. There's no Airbnb. These people need a place to stay. And so she says, hey, itinerant preachers, y'all come and stay with me if, y- if y'all want to. If y'all think it is worth your time, if you think that I am who I say I am, come stay with me. Come stay in my house. How does Lydia take up the task of hospitality? She sees the people who have gladly come to her at a cost to themselves. Therefore, she will gladly open her home at a cost to herself. She pays a cost to a people who have paid a cost for her. Those are the things that that Luke, this writer of Acts, is trying to show us. the, the, The tasks of hospitality, the actions of hospitality in Timothy and Lydia. Again, we've got to get really practical when we look at hospitality. So what in the world does that task of hospitality mean for us? How do we take it up? What does it look like in our world? So, uh, Taylor, you to throw a picture up there? So this is, um, this is a, my, some of my best high school friends right here. Um, this is kind of in college when we uh, had had no laws, so we grew uh, any hair we could uh, anywhere. So um, you can notice the log that is right above my upper lip. Uh, and so uh, this is these are my best friends. I can go on and on about them. They're they're groomsmen at my wedding. Uh, they were thick as thieves. And I'm not here to tell you about them. I'm actually here to tell you about the person that's not in the picture. I'm here to tell you about the person that's taking the picture. Because the person that's taking the picture is a woman named Donna. And this woman named Donna, we're in her home. Um, and this woman named Donna really set a table for us. She she just had just fed us dinner. I think we're watching um, the Alabama game in the background. And, and this woman named Donna had a son. And her son's name was Michael. And three years before this picture was taken, uh, Michael was was one of us. And three years before this picture was taken, Michael passed away. And every person in this picture... Uh, walked Michael's casket to to his burial spot. And so I'm showing you this picture and telling you about Donna because what she did was she opened up her home to us and she let us swim in her pool. And she did things like when we got married, hosted our wedding showers and when we were having babies, hosting our baby showers. She's doing all of these actions of hospitality because she really gets hospitality. She has taken up the task of hospitality well. Because she doesn't look at just some kind of one temporal need, a fun physical need that she can meet of having us be in her house and rummage it around it and eat her food. The real task of hospitality she's taking up is this. I don't want you to outgrow my son's life. And in my grief, she's saying, I don't want to be alone in it. And as you grow up, I want to grow up with you. The temporal need she meets oftentimes is directly connected with something that speaks of beauty in eternity. Why does Timothy allow himself to do something that's not required, be circumcised? It's because circumcision gives him this cultural clout so that others hear the news of Jesus. And in Lydia, she offers up her home so that those who bear the gospel and spread it across the world will be rested. 
and she'll grow from it. And they'll know a home and safety because of her too. Why does my, my deceased best friend's mother still have us in our home? It's so that she will know life is beyond the grave for her son. Friends, the beauty of the task of hospitality is that it's not you just doing something or inviting someone in or cooking a meal for someone. It's so much more than that. The task of hospitality does those things because you begin to not just do things for someone, but you begin to connect with someone in such a way that their heavenly father connects with them. And that you meet them and you treat them just as your heavenly father meets them and treats them. And that's not moving the needle of action with hospitality. That's when that hospitality gets really, really fun. So the question is, what's the action of hospitality you're being invited into, this task you're being invited into, where you're called to meet, yes, a temporal need, but that's not an end of itself. It's actually this gateway into this eternal song in which you get to enter into someone else's world and you see them the way the Heavenly Father sees them, all because you did cook a meal, all because you did write a letter, all because you did welcome someone into your home, all because you did sacrificially accommodate with someone else in mind. The task of hospitality isn't the thing you do. It's the thing that actually gets past that thing to the person you're serving and loving. That's what the task of hospitality is. Now, if I was to say, go do, go do those things. Go from this place. Fill up a scrapbook full of memories and good deeds. Um, we would do just that, and yet there would be a bit of a hollow nature to it. Because the truth is, we've got to grab hold of this last idea, this reason for hospitality. Because you cannot give something you do not have. If you want to show that next picture, Taylor. So what you're looking at here is um, in the concrete jungle of downtown Knoxville at a fraternity house, uh, my name is written on Sharpie with, on a piece of copy paper taped to a chair in front of a parking lot. Why am I showing you this picture, you ask? I'm glad you asked. Uh, because uh, my dear friend in college paid those precious $20 for me to have a prime spot to drive right into Knoxville to watch the balls lose. Drive right into Knoxville to stay with him. So why did I decide to show you this today? But, but even more so, why did I whip my phone out to take a picture of it? The heart cannot sing when you see that someone else sees you and deems you valuable enough to prepare a place for you. My friend, yeah, paid 20 measly dollars, but he, he made a place for me to pull right to the door. He saw me as valuable enough to pay that money so that I would get right to the place he has prepared for me. And when that's the kind of hospitality you grab hold of, all of a sudden the things that will flow from you is something that you don't do out of duty or out of, even out of shame or guilt. You do it out of freedom. When you taste the place that has been prepped for you and made for you, all of a sudden that's the only thing you will be able to do. 
That's what we see in, in Timothy and in Lydia. They look on others and they deem them endowed with value and therefore they will respond with sacrificial hospitality. And the only way you can grab a hold of that is if you experience it yourself. Now in John 14, right before Jesus goes to the cross, John is uh, Jesus is talking to his disciples. He's talking to people who are about to run away from him, who are about to deny him, a tail between the legs. He's telling them this. He's not saying, we're going to be the victors, don't worry. He's not saying, hey, just hold your breath. It's going to be hard, but then it will be very, very good. He tells them this. He says, I am preparing a place for you. He tells them right before he's about to go to the cross for them, he says, do not let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go there and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Friends, the accomplishment of Jesus is not looking at you and seeing your value. It's actually the accomplishment of Jesus is looking at you and injecting value into you because of what he's done and then going on to say, I've prepared a place for you. I don't just give you a name and worth, but actually I'm giving you a seat to sit at because of all that I've done and you're now worthy. Hospitality is seen in the person of hospitality, the person of Jesus. He gives you everything all the while because he took on nothing. And in Philippians 2, it says, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. That's another way of saying, I'm taking on everything you are so that you can have everything that I am. The cross is nothing more than a statement of, I am sacrificially accommodating in your skin and your bones and everything with you in mind. The cross is a statement of true hospitality. And when you see it that way, and when you see the, the hospitable heart of God on the cross, what you will see is that actually Jesus is the true and he's the better Timothy. That he will be cut and he will bleed so that others know and experience the good news of the gospel. And in fact, he's not just the better Timothy, he's also the better Lydia. He's the one that says, I'm going to, at a cost to myself, welcome you into my home. You're in because of what I'm paying and sacrificing for you to be there. And when you're looked on and deemed worthy because of that injection of worth, all of a sudden your heart will be filled with hospitality. And guess what you've done? Nothing. And guess what will ensue from that place? Sacrificial accommodation with others in mind. All because you've encountered the person of hospitality, King Jesus. And he says... I will sacrificially accommodate with you in mind. I'm preparing a place for you that echoes into eternity. Let's pray. Lord, when we come to you and, and experience you, may we know nothing else 
than the fact that you are a God of hospitality. You don't just welcome us, but you find us to then welcome us. And you find us to welcome us, to show us the seed in which you prepared for us. And you found us to welcome us, to show us the seat also that we may eat and drink and be satisfied. May that story never grow old, but instead be the thing in which we long to know more and more of. And as we do, King Jesus, make our hands be opened and our hearts be warmed and our eyes be searching for the people in which you've called into our lives and us into theirs. And may we be free, free enough to sacrificially accommodate with them all because you've done that for us. We pray this in your name. King Jesus, amen. Our lives and us into theirs. And may we be free, free enough to sacrificially accommodate with them all because you've done that for us. We pray this in your name. King Jesus, amen.